mentees. Welcome to a special episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Simone Miller. In this podcast, we interview different mentors in the entertainment industry about how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and follow on whatever platform you are currently listening this episode on. And if there's an option to review, please do so. It really helps my podcast grow. Follow me on Instagram at, at mentors on the mic and at Michelle Simone Miller. All right, this episode is a bit different than some of my others. I've been following Todd Savas for a long time now. My sister's a huge fan. I think she found him originally from Jenna Dewan's YouTube channel where she does videos with him and he's done readings for her. And I've been so curious how he started and how he grew his platform in the industry. He's been on Extra TV, The Morning Show, KTLA, Good Day LA, and more. He has an Instagram following of close to 40,000 with fans including celebrities like Jenna Dewan, Emmanuel Shriki, who you may know as Sloan from Entourage, Jamie Lynn Siegler, and more. Todd Savis is a spiritual teacher, modern mystic, and sage who has been working with people from all over the world for the last 17 years. He blends ancient wisdom with modern savvy to create powerful and quick transformation. This may be slightly different than anything we've explored so far on the podcast, and if you hate woo-woo stuff, this may not be the one for you. But on the same token, you might learn a lot just from his approach to growing and and connecting with people. And uh, I share my own experience from a reading with him later on, and you may love it. I don't know. Without further ado, here's Todd Savas. Welcome, Todd Savas, to Mentors on the Mic. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm just so thrilled to have you as a mentor on the podcast. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. So I always start out every interview with the question, what was your first role in the entertainment industry? So for you, I actually want to take it even maybe a little bit further back. What was the first thing that you started doing and how did you make your way into the entertainment industry from there? Okay, so I had a bit of an, obviously I'm a spiritual teacher, um, which isn't directly related to entertainment per se, even though I do stuff in the entertainment industry. But ironically, I studied, fashion styling. So uh, one of my first gigs was doing uh, wardrobe styling on a big show called McLeod's Daughters back in Adelaide, Australia. So I started out doing image, fashion, and then I moved into advertising. But I always had this real hunger for mysticism and everything magical and all that sort of stuff. So I started learning about all of that. And it was really just strictly for me. But over time, people wanted to know about what I saw, what I felt, all that sort of stuff. And that kind of eventually kept on evolving. And then I was doing morning show segments about spirituality mm. in Australia. Uh, then I left and went to London and then eventually here in LA, which again, is sort of like a hub for entertainment, obviously. Obviously. So, Can't run away from it so there. I, no, I do, a, I do a lot of work with uh, celebrities and TV hosts. And then Absolutely. I myself also get interviewed about mystical things as well. So 100%. That's, that's how it ties itself in. Oh, there you go. That's the interview. That's exactly yeah, the whole journey in a nutshell. I love it. That was nailed great. <laughs> um, you nailed it right there. I want to take it back to when you first started looking at different, like sort of studying different beliefs. So you grew up mm -hmm. Pentecostal, right? 
And so can we give a little idea of what that means exactly for our listeners? Just that it, Um, because it evolved, obviously. Completely. So Pentecostal, evangelical, it's that same very, for some, it's very extreme um, and intense because they are the ones that sing in tongues and fall over from the spirit and believe in the spiritual gifts. So out of this sort of Christian archetypal aspects or modalities i guess you could say they are the most like wooey i guess so you know they they believe in the intangible things they believe in messages from god they believe like i said falling down in spirit but miracles healing all that sort of stuff uh so i was also raised to be a prophet so they knew that i could see things and that sort of stuff which ironically is kind of like just being psychic it's just that you label it as oh this is coming from god or whatever no i i I thought that was a great sort of i I remember hearing that and going well you know how amazing it is that from a young age you kind of knew that or knew that was possible or knew that that was like a door that maybe you could open yeah and it's also interesting because especially in that context you're really not because being psychic is evil being a prophet of God, not evil. So mm. it's just this fine line, right? So even in that context of being psychic, then it's more so about your gift. So I, it took me a long time to own my gift per se, because, you know, as a prophet, you're, you're just a mouth rather than it being about work, even working on developing your own or honing your own deal in the context of being a prophet. It's just words just come and they're right because they come Mm, from God, which isn't necessarily even true either. You're almost like a mouthpiece or a messenger as opposed to someone who's, you know, working with those gifts yourself. And also someone who then also can influence those things Mm. to make them better or less great. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but it's, it's, no, not at all. And it's also that almost that ego that comes with that sort of notion of being a prophet, mm. because it's like you're then it's got nothing to do with me. This is just what God says. Right. Whereas one of my my teachers who taught me um, how to read and stuff like that, she always said to me that we don't we never what we say isn't about it being right. What we say is what we feel to be true because what we say is going to cause a reaction that is planned. Mm. So it's a helpful reminder of understanding that we only tune into and say what your soul is wanting us to say to you mm. because your soul is smarter than you and knows that maybe if we say something like this, you're going to be like, oh, hell no. I'm going to make that happen anyway. Mm. Whereas if it was the opposite message, then you might not have that push that you need to, to react in the same way. So it's this helpful reminder for like someone who reads that, like, it's the same dynamic of only showing up and only making sure that we're doing what feels to be true, but we're stepping out of the place of like, oh my God, I have a hundred percent accuracy and I'm always right. Cause that's impossible too. Um, But that was, that was essentially the sort of shift. I was just drawn to the mystical way more. So I studied paganism, shamanism, Buddhism, anything that really like excited me. And then over time just sort of led that led me away because I just got really bored about the sort of confinement sense of the religious paradigm. Yes. And so did you, I mean, you spoke about your teachers, if you will, but the, or the teacher that helped you read, is that when you started meeting said teachers or, or your mentors, et cetera, that helped you kind of hone in your skills and your, 
It was right around that time. Yeah, I'm so it was a little bit later. Like I left or I moved away from where I was with my mom and moved back to where I was grow I was raised originally. Uh, and I kind of just said to the universe, okay, so I don't really believe in what I've been told. It doesn't feel right. But what what do you want? What what is true? Show me what's true. And then I started meeting friends that were completely outside of that organized religion, but were very like one was at the time nearly 21, 20. Uh, and she had been reading tarot since she was like seven. Mm. Uh, she's from Hungary, but she was also studying urban planning as well. So she had both of those elements of like being in the real world, but then also deeply spiritual. Yeah. Uh, and then so we started like I learned stuff from her. I started playing with energy with her as well. Uh, and then eventually I got taken to this woman. Have you seen The Matrix? Yes. The Oracle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, she's this real woman that exists in Adelaide. And when they were going around and sort of crafting uh, this story, they went and interviewed, but not really interviewed because they went for readings with all of these psychics that were known and mm. this lady Anna she sits in her kitchen with you she smokes the whole time she's from Cyprus so it's all wow. kind of broken English she drinks the um, coffee cups and she really just her nature of how she reads was kind of one of the first aspects of reading that I resonated with because she's not flowery she's not there to hold your hand she's kind of there to shake you and be like which is you can kind of see in the character, the Oracle as well. The Oracle has this sort of playful game with it as well. Uh, And so she didn't directly teach me at that point, but it was definitely sort of forming this, this space where I was going to fill up it it out later. And she makes her own cards as well. And she was like, you're going to make your own cards. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to be a fashion stylist. And then obviously I made my own cards. And that's one of the feature elements of my sessions as well. So when you, so now that you've sort of figured out, or actually let's, let's take it back to that moment then or around then how did you kind of first decide what you wanted to do or how you wanted to be of service to people? So, you know, in thinking about it as a business, what services did you start offering to people? If that makes sense. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, originally I, because I had this background in fashion styling and I was like, why don't I combine fashion styling with spiritual guidance, yes. kind of like a holistic approach, which is still a very sensible sort of business model, but it never went anywhere. Mm. And it was ultimately because I needed to come out as spiritual, but I wasn't really coming out as spiritual because I was still sort of covering it in this fashion bit. So it was still, okay, I wasn't that crazy woo-woo, right? right? And it was really just this this sort of push needing to go further into really coming out as, and I think at the beginning, I just used the title spiritual healer mm. from memory. And then it was, you know, doing energy work and readings and that sort of stuff stuff much more psychic based readings uh eventually over time like in spiritual practices you wait until you receive a next level kind of thing that can often happen by another reader telling you or being given it by a spirit but then it should usually be supported separate as well uh so then when i got a new title a spiritual teacher then it was more so time about teaching rather as well so it kind of just evolved at that point yeah. and 
you know, even now my re my sessions as they are are completely different to what they were originally because now my job is to more so teach you spiritual tools that are going to improve the aspects of your life as opposed to originally it was more so just about reading what's going mm. on and what can happen. So that's essentially the the journey of transformation in that work. And so when you were first starting to work, you did all these segments, as you said earlier, for the morning show in Australia, which is really fun to watch on YouTube. Highly recommend people look them up, but you were teaching different things related to like feng feng shui. And, um, there was one about, let's see if I remember, uh, like, like, Oh, there was one of those, like a spiritual detox. I remember there was like a couple of those. And I wondered how you got those initial segments on the morning show uh initially so one of the benefits of obviously having the background that i did in fashion uh i came across and i was around a lot of people that were in pr as Mm. well so i ended up having a lot of clients that were in pr and then they would become friends and they would just pitch me so they started out then pitching me to the producers on that first morning show and then i got comfortable with them so then i would pitch myself for shows but usually that's the way that it predominantly has happened i would either be introduced to a pr or i'd somehow come across a producer that's really great. And then, so, and the, so the initial thing was that they would pitch you for certain segments. They'd be like, Oh, you should get Todd Savis. He's a spiritual healer and mystic. He can, you know, talk about feng shui tips and people would be like, yeah, that sounds great. And then at one point you would pitch your, your own segments. Um, well, predominantly they would ask me what they should pitch mm, or excellent. they would okay. say, or they would say, here's an introduction, tell them what you'll do kind of thing. Great. Um, but I, I learned very on that the more you work for them, then the easier it is for them to say yes. Makes so sense. if you can come up with the full pitch, if you can literally show it beat by beat as to how it's going to look, mm. it, it lands so much quicker. Amazing. And then how did that help or take off, you know, like, how did that help your business overall? What was that like those, that initial exposure in the, in, on the morning show, for instance? I mean, honestly, it doesn't really move the needle too much Mm. when it comes to clients or anything like that. Obviously you can't really tell the sort of long-term effects. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like suddenly I'm on TV and then I get 30,000 inquiries. Right. It's not really like that. But it does just work as to a bigger body of work that's happening. Mm-hmm. So I, re- I learned very early on to maximize and sort of leverage as much as possible. Yes. Especially because of what I do, I have to leverage as much mainstream stuff that I do. So making sure that I'm utilizing that in every reference, making sure that my pitch deck, if I was using one, was up to date. Um, but as, as soon as something happened, trying to utilize that in another way to build momentum in another sort of project as well. Any tips for people on how to you know, use, use like leverage certain clips or leverage certain things in their lives without, you know, with still maintaining a level of authenticity without like being too salesy, if you will, any, any tips for anyone? I mean, I think it's also really important to like distill down what the, the trigger reaction is with about needing to be authentic. Right. Mm. Because Sometimes people want to take themselves far too seriously, which is something originally, which I did as well. I was like, I don't dare to want to be seen talking about blah, 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 blah. And then over time, I'm like, you've got to meet 
everyone where they are, mm. right? So not everyone is ready to hear everything that I could say, but that's not their fault. They will, and maybe eventually meet me wherever with a deeper conversation of whatever, but I can't stand there and yell at a platform for them not being like aware enough to listen to my most authentic thoughts and words. So instead, it's more so just about coming with the awareness that I have to meet them wherever this platform is mm. and then to have fun with it. Right. So it, if you are having fun with whatever it is, it's going to translate. It's going to feel better for people to watch and they're going to want to be more involved with you anyway. So we can't ever be too precious about it. Mm. And then separate from that, from a sort of media viewpoint, this I wish I'd knew that, known this earlier to really work on like, good bite-sized bits that can get taken out and Mm. used as opposed to being, oh, I can eloquently speak for five minutes about this topic. It's not really as good as having these really good cuttable segment bits that then could get used in a larger context. Mm. So that would be my advice, would be to really look at it from the viewpoint of a PR person or of the viewpoint of an advertising person and to work out what you, if out of your, whatever it is, whether it's an interview, whether it's a segment, whether it's a podcast, find your 30 second hit that kind of can be like, that was so cool. That landed really amazingly. And they're the things that people are going to remember as opposed to listening to the whole thing. Right. Well said. I mean, I think with the advent of like TikTok and, you know, all these bite sized mm-hmm. stuff on Instagram as well, I think that's, that's so right on the nail about that stuff. So it's good to, for me to know as well as I think other people. So thank and you. And ironically, that. I didn't, and ironically, I didn't do that in 30 seconds, but you get the point. Yeah. 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 Of course. Um, yeah. And then, so, you know, you're getting these segments. I'm, I imagine you're starting to pitch yourself elsewhere. What was mm-hmm. the next step? Where, where was, you know, where did you want to go after that? I mean, ultimately my focus was always to utilize these things to get a TV show that was mm. sort of uh, focused around my work. Yes. Uh, so that was the viewpoint. And so that was obviously, okay. I, at that point had no on camera like experience per se, but I'm a Gemini. So, you know, kind of like what my sign is for. So it was more so just about, okay, step one is get yourself on TV. So then I started getting myself on TV, fleshed out that as much as I could in Australia. It's also just a very small market and I could see other psychics that were doing similar sort of like one that would have a TV show, but one would also do the same morning show, different style segments than myself but I could see that sort of trajectory and I was like this is just a really really small market and it's not that exciting to me I want to be somewhere which is more of an international hub I also am half British so I have a British passport so I was like okay let's go to London London wasn't the place for what I do because they when you say spiritual teacher they immediately immediately think you're a medium Okay. So there's no in between. There's just right to medium. Um, And also they have these specific laws in British TV that they can be held accountable if you make an on-air prediction and something bad happens. So yeah, 
even if you tell someone that they should get their hair cut and they get their hair cut and they hate it and they can somehow substantiate that it ruins their life, the network could be culpable. Well, this oh. is the way that it was explained to me. Uh, so, so that's why they usually stick with mediumship work because it's like, oh, your dead grandpa is here saying, you look so lovely today because, you know, there's no real like fear of what could happen from that. Wow. It just is, you know, evidence of the afterlife. So I tried to do some stuff over there. I did more press work over there, like interviewed in things like Sunday Times, all that sort of stuff. But TV-wise, it was kind of too impossible. I had conversations with people, but it didn't really go anywhere. And then when I went to New York for the first time, I felt this energy there that I hadn't felt for like five years. The Capricorn energy is how you described it, right? Can you describe that? Can you explain like the word for the Mm -hmm. city? Yeah. So I sort of look at cities and astrologer, I'm not an astrologer, but I know a little bit about it. But for me, New York always feels very Capricorn. And if you know Capricorns, as a sign, it's all about work, work. I haven't worked hard enough. There could be someone who's worked hard enough for me. Why are you trying to give me accolades? I could still be better at what I'm doing. So there's always this momentum and focus on upon it about like building and being better, but they're also kind of hard on themselves as well in the journey. So New York to me is kind of that energy. It's very focused on career, but it's also very focused on there's no time to sleep because someone else could be making the money that I could be making if I was still going. Mm. So that's why New York has that energy that's just sort of like going, going, going the whole time. And when I went to New York for the first time, I felt this sort of excitement. And then I was like, oh, I haven't felt that the entire time I've been in London. Mm. That's something I probably that's need important. to address. When you were in London, because so is that where, because I know I heard that you did this like William and Kate prediction for their kids, right? You guessed it would be a boy and a girl. Was that in London or was that what you already in the States and talking back? No, that that was when I was in Australia. Oh, interesting. Very early on. I didn't look at the timeline for this. So, but yeah, so you predicted that they were going to have a boy and a girl. And that was a big deal. People really, I mean, even now, like the comments are, are like, oh, that's right. And so you came to New York, Capricorn. What was the word for London? If you could give a word for London. Uh, London to me was always kind of more touristy. Mm. So Taurus is stubborn, slower, doesn't want to change quickly. When I think even now about London's energy, it feels like it's kind of muddy. So like if you imagine walking in mud, Mm. it's that sensation of like if you slip into it a little bit, it's slower to move. It's a little bit more resistant to move as well. Mm. Whereas LA, I describe as Neptune, which is like the planet of ideas, inspiration, creativity, music, spirituality, alcoholism, nightmares. So it's kind of that whole bandwidth of, you know, people come here for their dreams, but then they get destroyed by their nightmares here. It's kind of that frequency. And that frequency speaks for you, speaks to you right now anyway. Yeah, like oh, that, it's, all, an... it's always been that way. Mm, always been that way. Always been LA. And yep. so when you got to the States, how were you able? I mean, I'm always curious when people tell me that they're now working here. Were you sponsored to be here? Did someone sponsor you? Did you just like, how are you able to work here? Because everyone always asks me that. And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, so I got uh, an O1 visa, which Ooh. is the extraordinary talent visa. Usually it's for actors um, yes. and presenters mm-hmm. um, because to get it. And now now more people get it because they've realized that it was very difficult for a long time to get. 
Yeah. And look, I, my first one was like eight years ago. So I was, I'm assuming I was the first spiritual teacher that they probably had come across their desk. And when I had my first one go in, it, it goes through and then like, you can have like um, requests for further evidence come back. Mm. And what's interesting, the first time that they sent it in, I was like, uh, I think this needs to be changed like this. Cause they showed it to me and usually they don't do that at all, but I know my business better than, than anyone else does. Of course. And so I was like, oh, I think this needs to change and they didn't change it. Then it came back and I was like, okay, get rid of it. It should be spiritual healer. It has to be spiritual expert. And then all of these mm-hmm. things I just, we went through and I went through and changed my petition as well. Oh. And then it was approved. So like the whole nuts and bolts of an O1 visa is that you need to have essentially enough media exposure. You have to be at the top of your field, whatever that field is. So you could literally be a, an expert on pancake, but you would have to then show that you were interviewed and called this expert. And then there's all these specific criteria, whether it be can um, demand high pay, working in a high profile project, Typically, they sound as though they're entertainment-based, yeah. but your lawyer can argue that this applies to your industry as well. Mm. So that's, and for anyone, and a lot of actors go this route as well, yes. uh, it, requ- it takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of time. And yes. it's a lot, it's like a 3,000 or 30,000 word petition kind of thing. It's a lot. It's a lot of, it's a lot of work, but oh yeah. But now you're in LA, so it's exactly where you wanted to be. And um, so- uh, my next question then is a little bit about claircognizance. So mm-hmm. that's what you have, right? Can you explain a little to our audience exactly what claircognizance is? Well, everyone's sort of clairvoyance, which essentially means clair meaning clairvoyance meaning sight. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of different clairs. Most people will have one or everyone will have one they lean to the most. And then usually a secondary one that can be nearly as strong but not necessarily their primary. Mine is clear cognizance, which means clear knowing. It's kind of like, oh, I know this thing, like I read it in a book, but I didn't read the book kind of thing. And then my second is clairvoyance. So obviously clear viewing, but then you've also got clairsentience, which is feeling, um, audience, which is hearing. Then there's also one for smell, uh, taste. You can really find it cover across a lot. Interesting. And so how do people, how would you recommend people sort of work on developing their own clairs, essentially, if that makes sense? Like completely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there's lots of different ways. Each of them has their own sort of unique uh, aspects to develop them, but the most primary or the easiest place to start would be through meditation, because the whole idea is for you to be able to be still enough to notice things different. So a lot of times people walk into their life and they do so completely unaware of taking stock of where they were at before they even walked into that situation. So you can't tell if you suddenly feel different in that situation because you didn't really take the time to work out where you're at before you even entered. Yeah. So that's kind of the principle of how you sense shifts in energy is by being keenly aware of where you're at. So that's why as an expert, you can get to a point where you can feel like absolute crap, but you can still read for someone because you knew that you felt like crap. Mm. So even but just, if you didn't so know, interesting. 
because you can park it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you don't know where you're at and you're kind of just walking through life, spilling energy everywhere, then it's kind of hard to sense the nuanced shifts that occur when you're around other people. Uh, so that's why meditation is a great place to start because it's really the focus on just taking inventory of what's happening in you and then helping yourself move through that. Mm. Do you have a recommendation for people as to sort of recommended ways to meditate? Obviously there, there are many different ways. There are many different styles. Do you have a particular one that you recommend to people? So the recommendation is to keep trying lots of different meditation mm-hmm. because they resonate with people differently. Yeah. So for some people, they love TM, which yes. is like taking a mantra and reciting the mantra every time, uh, sorry, at a specific time every day. Right. I can't stand that. But okay. there are other ones that people love, but they don't love that. So it's really about finding the thing that works for you specifically. We are all crafted differently. Our characters are designed differently, meaning that there is never going to be one-stop shop tool for everyone per mm-hmm. se. Um, although I, I would go as far to say that mine aren't because mine deal with your soul and everyone has a soul. Right. But if it's based around the sort of element of dealing with your mind and your persona and your character in this reality, they will be different. So it's more so just about trying, playing. And if one doesn't resonate, don't force it. Try something else. Yeah, I would also argue, I mean, we were talking about a, for your, you know, your service is a one-stop shop. You know, a lot of what you do is customized for every person still to a certain extent, right? You know, people come to you, they may be like, I want X, but you'll make sure that X is sort of tailored to them as best as, you know, as much as possible from the stuff that you do. Correct. So, I mean, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also even in my sessions, the way in which I read for them gets adjusted for that person too. So oftentimes if the person is very visual person, then it will be more heavily laden with sort of visual analogy or metaphors or visions. Whereas if someone else is more cognizant or verbal, then it's more so based around that as well. So I noticed that the spirit sort of brings forward whatever is going to be the best thing for that person too. But, you know, that, that isn't necessarily the case for everyone in terms of the way in which they deliver their sort of spiritual work. But I have noticed that's what the spirit does with mine. Excellent. It's amazing. And so we're now in LA. So I want to talk about this because now that we know Claire Cognizance's, it'll help sort of lend itself into your time in LA. So now, mm-hmm. you know, you're in LA, where do you start? How do you start meeting people, moving and shaking and, and growing your business? How does that work? Well, I mean, ironically, when I moved to London, I knew no one. When I moved to LA, I knew a couple of people, a few okay. people. Um, so from that, it was just about reconnecting with people that I knew, um, letting it sort of circles expand via that. Um, but while also keeping my mind very clear on the type of people that I needed to draw in based around work as well. So very early on, I was, uh, introduced to a friend of mine that was a member at Soho House, the one in West Hollywood. Right. Um, and so I would start going there with him. I then met the GM of Soho House. I gave her a quick reading. We became friends. I was introduced to the events people at Soho House. 
I pitched doing events with them. They loved that. I was then doing events there for like a year and a half. Then from that, it's just, you know, taking advantage of stuff that comes up. Right. And then uh, it's the same thing, being introduced to PRs, who then new producers on Good Day LA here, uh, eventually into Young Hollywood, Extra Young TV. Hollywood. Yeah, all of those things. So it's really just about being keenly aware about leveraging it. So I leverage Soho House as a brand because it's a known brand. It's a great brand. Yeah. So for really being able to get my name through the door and being somewhere new, being able to say, oh, yeah, I'm the spiritual teacher at Soho House West Hollywood. You know, it's like it adds a little bit of cachet. So absolutely. I mean, amazing. And then. And so then at some point you must've met Jenna Dewan because that's how, I mean, I was talking about this before with you that my sister introduced me to you and she was introduced to you because she's a huge fan of Jenna and Jenna started Uh a podcast and she saw you and she was like, Michelle, you have to check this out. So how did that introduction happen? And how did you, how did it form? Cause you guys did a few YouTube videos on our channel. Um, How did that sort of come around and that change anything for you? So a friend of Jenna's um, came to me and had a session. um, And then that was kind of that. But what I didn't know was that she was connected with Jenna. Also then Kimberly Vanderbeek is connected with Jenna. They're very close. Um, And so this woman then had this session. They then went off and were doing like a ceremony at some point. And during the ceremony, she was like, oh, I have to go back and read those notes from that session that I had with Todd. Of course. Went back and she was reading it. And in the notes, it was like spot on for dates. This was going to happen. This was going to happen. This was going to happen. All of these things. And so then Jenna was like, okay, that's my sign that I now need to come. So she then came and saw me. And then we worked together for a bunch. And then eventually Kimberly came and saw me. So it was all of these different people. Yes. All they're all sort of connected. Yeah. Um, but those connections or the conversations were happening without me knowing, obviously. Um, and now like uh the Vanderbeeks are some of my closest friends as well. Yes. So they're all sort of in a group of friends, and that's sort of how it all unfolded. And amazing. yeah, I mean, same sort of thing with Jenna. It was amazing. I got lots of actually, there was some stuff that came up in the YouTube clip that we did. And ironically for me, when I do a film thing, it's not like having a proper reading because I kind of believe in stuff that like secrecy and privacy. So we're kind of doing- God, how can you believe in that stuff? It's crazy. So like, (laughs) you know, when I'm doing doing a session with someone, but it's filmed, even though they've asked me to film it, we're kind of having two different conversations. Yes. We're having I one conversation, which is like, these are the words I'm saying, but underneath it, we both know other stuff that I'm not commenting right. on because you, you are a known person and either I know that they're pretty private and or it's just not appropriate. Right. So, you know, that, those conversations were kind of happening. To me, it was very basic. Um, and then eventually when Channing and Jenna uh, announced their split, which was that, like a, not that long late. It was a few months later. 
And you were, yeah. so for, for context for people, you were doing sort of like a new year's reading. So like an upcoming year reading. So that was, and it was a, it was a short clip, you know, I mean, I will yeah. say it, it, I understand when you said it was basic though, obviously people can look back and go, Oh my God, are you kidding me? Like this was laid out because it was not just her relationship. It was also like her career sort of resurging in different ways. So let me, I'll let you without interrupting again, but no, 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 no. Yeah. So what was then hilarious was that that was the bit that then got picked up and it went news viral, which was fascinating. So like, um, you know, it was like, did Todd Savitz just predict their breakup? And so it went on to like E! Online, it went on to L.com, like all of these um, outlets picked it all up and that it was kind of hilarious. Um, but the interesting thing as well is like, you know, then you go on to major TVs, TV shows, and then you say things that you're not going to talk about and they try and ask you things that you said you're not going to talk about. So, yeah. you know, it was, it was a very fast learning curve about maintaining like that sort of place because again you never want yeah and you also never want to betray in this context a friend but also a client and also I don't need to divulge stuff to benefit myself because that would fundamentally be the opposite as what a spiritual teacher should do. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I can imagine all those calls being like, so let's talk about Jen and Channing. You're like, let's not, no, let's not do that. And I'm like, I wish them all the best. Right. You're like, that is their business. I send them love. And now let's keep going with our conversation, yeah. but it makes sense. Excellent. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about your deck of cards and having yep. a reading with you, because from my personal experience, and I said this in our email exchange, you know, Obviously there's some things I'll look back and go, oh, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Cause you give me like a, a thing with your notes. I have my notes, the combination of the two, it's very uh, interesting to piece together, but there are some things that always stuck, stuck out. And I don't talk about it with many people though my sister and I have talked about it in full, but, um, you know, for instance, I remember you said to, you know, I, we were talking a little bit about my love life a few years ago. And I remember you said in general for me that I needed to study lions does that come often in readings for you, this idea of like animals? And so anyway, I really loved it. And I was I like, okay, this idea of lions, this is great. Don't know how that'll manifest, but it turns out I, I met someone, my current fiance and his name in Hebrew means baby lion, which comes up in his family a lot. And so I remember just having that in my head, just not just naturally feel like it reinforced something for me where I was like, yep. okay, here I am supposed to study lions in the wild and, and how they own their confidence. And now I have another teacher in my life, which is my fiance. And I get to learn from him as well as lions in the wild. So that was one thing that came up off the top of my head, specifically in that same sort of conversation you had said to me, I had asked about meeting people. I was lonely. I was like, I'm single forever, man. And you said, and I I still tell people this all the time. When people ask me dating advice, you said for right now, Michelle, Think of everything as just you're going on a date and you're having fun. And if you have fun on that date, just go on another date. If you don't have fun on that date, don't worry about it, but just keep going on dates, keep having fun with different people. And you said, do not worry about getting married, having a soulmate. Don't worry about any of that. 
the next person I met was my fiance. And I remember, and I've never really told the story, but I remember going and being like, okay, Todd Savas's words, I got this. I'm just going to have fun, Michelle. I'm just going to enjoy it. And if I don't enjoy it, that's fine. I won't go on another date. I obviously like enjoyed it. And I remember, and I, like I said, haven't told people this. I had a voice in our conversation, just kind of say to me, I could marry him. And I was like, no, stop it. Todd told me I just need to have fun. I don't need to like worry about any of that. Um, And I kept going and I had this sort of innate confidence that came with the other thing I did too, was I meditated like a couple weeks before meeting him. And I pictured, uh, and I don't know if this was something that you instructed, but I, but I obviously it's all spiritual. It all is connected, but I pictured falling in love. I pictured being in love with someone. I was like, okay, well, where am I? And I was on a beach. And, uh, and I was walking hand in hand with someone in full clothes. I don't know why we weren't wearing bathing suits, just full clothes, walking hand in hand. And I just felt this intense feeling of like, oh my God, I'm just so in love with this person. And that feeling came very strongly in me, like to the point where I was like, oh my God, this is the best feeling ever. Let me just rejoice in this. I'm so happy. And months later, I'm walking on the beach with my now fiance holding hands. It's like kind of chilly out. So we're wearing full clothing. Didn't hit me right away. I'm walking. And all of a sudden I'm feeling this like intense feeling of love. And I was like, well, this is strong. Like this is unnecessary. Like, why am I feeling this way? And we're walking down the beach, holding hands. And I sit down and we're like watching the water and putting my hand, my, my head on his shoulder. And I remember like, I don't remember when it hit me, but I was like, oh my God, I manifested this. Like I had this, that's why I'm feeling almost an overwhelming feeling of love because I felt connected to that moment. And if only we could always be that good at manifestation, because you know, that just was to me just felt so right. So perfect. So exactly what I needed to feel. Um, but all of that I felt was really around that time I was speaking with you and you obviously told me a lot of other wonderful messages that being said, can you talk a little bit about what goes on in your readings? And if people wanted to like write to you, how they maybe learn to need to expect or want to maybe not expect, but what they might be able to get with you or what, what a reading is like with you? Uh, so a lot of clients describe it like seeing a psychologist who's a psychic. So everything we do is based very much so on practical advice. How do we make things better? How do we improve things? And it's like you experienced in your own session. The reason why you experienced the breakthrough you did was because you didn't let your ego attach or project to an outcome. You let yourself just be in the moment. Mm. So this is why a lot of what the energetic work is, is kind of, what's the best way to describe this? Leading you to where you want to get, but through a direction you can't plan. Because if you let your mind be too fixated on being aware of where you're walking, then your mind is still in control. Whereas if you did what you did, which was, I'm just going to go on dates and I'm just going to enjoy fun. And then I'm just reassessing. Is it fun? Is it fun? Is it fun? You kept your attachment only to being, am I enjoying myself? Therefore, my focus is on myself as opposed to I could marry this person which then the focus becomes on another person Mm. and you lose sight of yourself. So it's about being able to understand and see that stuff and then make adjustments for that. So that's kind of the stuff that I do. We obviously work with the cards that you mentioned as well. Uh, I teach people. One of kind deck of cards, right? How many, how many cards are in this deck as of right now? 
like 444. Oh, grew. Okay. <laughs> Lovely. Um, and we get to see so, some of those cards on your Instagram, by the way. So, I mean, highly recommend yeah. everyone check out Todd Savis on Instagram because you, you will put out a card of the day and, and talk about that message. Yeah. So I do sort of daily readings, which is uh, three cards now each day. And it's all about sort of like the energetic archetypal nature of that day, what you can learn from it, what you can use for your benefit. It does kind of apply to everyone, but you've got to be able to shift your lens to be able to apply it to every circumstance, which not everyone does at any point. But there's always some sort of spiritual tool I try to leave in each of the messages of the day so that people can use them. But and then in sessions, we look at your cards. Uh, cards kind of reveal everything as to where it is right now, the snapshot in time, how things are connected. And if we like remove that connection, how things will evolve and shift, how can we support things as well. Uh, also, then you learn my spiritual exercises, which now my work is very much so about helping you speak to your soul quickly, feeling what your soul is like. And then by being in that connection, stuff just kind of happens for the better because mm. your soul is more in frequency with you anyway. And then if you're in person, I then go into your energy and clear out your energy. If it's in distance, I do that by a distance as well. So that's essentially one of the ways people work with me. Amazing. Ugh, obviously it's making me want to book a session soon. And I don't know about people <laughs> listening to this. And I also will say one of the things you did talk about, we were talking a lot about confidence and self-esteem. And I don't know if you do this for everyone or for a lot of people, but you asked me to name five things I love about myself. And one of my mm -hmm. extras, do you mind if I talk about this? I don't know if this is something you'd like to keep within sessions, but I not only still do this practice, I, you asked me to do this every day and each thing had to not be involving someone else. And so I did this for a week and my God, my self-esteem improved dramatically. And I tell people this, and I still tell people this, I'm currently with a friend doing this. We're doing this back and forth for the week because that's what came up yeah. when I was talking to her. So it's a gift that keeps giving. But when we were speaking about this, you know, I was explaining for me personally, because I can only talk about my own experience doing that, coming up with five things that had nothing to do with other people that I love about myself felt like not only was it something that I was starting to give back to myself as a form of self-care of like, what is it that I love about myself without really having to give a reason for it, mind you. But then yep. on top of it, when people started telling me things that maybe had been telling me all my life, right? Maybe if it's you're beautiful or you're smart or you're funny, anything like that, I, I, I received it differently. There was an element where I was like, oh, I didn't need that as much anymore from other people, or I didn't push it, brush it off maybe from other people when they told me that there was something about me that I already kind of knew things about myself. And I had a different relationship with other people telling me things about myself than I had before. So I thank you for that, as yeah. well as all the other messages I received. So thank you. You're so welcome. Wonderful. So any other, what other offerings um, do, can people like go on your website, toddsavis.com, correct? Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toddsavis.com. So, yeah. yeah. So what are some of the other offerings that you can give people that our audience can check out? Uh, so one of the new things that I've started doing um, is I call it a 15-day petition. So a petition is obviously an ask, a request, but you're asking the spirit for it. And so every morning for 15 days, I then pray for your specific request or petition. I offer five different things. Usually they range from like love to abundance to destiny, that sort of stuff. And then you get your own specific prayer that I get people to say each morning as well and a symbol that you focus on. 
And for me, it's fascinating because it's this new step or, or different version of working on and for people in such a direct and specific way. And that sort of repetitive nature of them being reminded that someone is praying for them each day and something is going to unfold. Uh, I've seen some really amazing things happen. I've seen like people getting money out of nowhere, people physically healing themselves as well. So yeah, that's another thing that I do. Usually it starts at about the 14th or 15th of each month and goes for 15 days. And I do that once a month as well. Excellent. Oh, great to know. See, that's something that you told me you do, but I didn't have the full explanation. That's really interesting. And then last question I like to, for you, I'll ask, normally I wouldn't ask, what are your recommendations for people to kind of lose detachment to things that they really want? I think that's something that people keep asking me. I keep, you know, maybe also thinking about it for myself. We all want certain things and sometimes we want it so much that energetically we're, we're sort of choking that want. How do we separate that detachment for ourselves or at least loosen the hold a little bit? Any recommendations on that? Well, it's really perspective work, right? So it's about being able to recognize, oh, that thing seems and feels interesting to me. Cool. Let it be there. And then reminding yourself to come back to, is it around me right now? If no, then I'm not allowed to think about it Mm. So I'm only allowed to think about things that are present. Then occasionally I can remind myself, oh, wouldn't that be so exciting if that blah, 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 feel the excitement because the feeling is an expression of reality, but then let go of it. Detachment comes from letting that be enough. Mm. And then energetically, if it's in alignment with your soul, it will naturally come. If it's not in alignment with your soul, that also means that your soul has planned something better. But if you don't trust that, you become your own problem because your ego is fixating on trying to make this thing happen when it's not part of your soul's plan. So you then get in the way of your own flow. Well said. That's like a clapping on the mic type of response. (laughs) Mic drop. Mic drop, if you will. And lastly, I always ask people at the end of the interview, what is your definition of success? My definition of success would be to feel comfortable enough to show up every day as who you really are and enjoying that. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Todd Savas. Thank you for, for spending some time with us today. Thank you for answering all my questions. And it's been an absolute joy. I can't wait to listen back, take more notes and share this with the world. So thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It was lovely being on you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you haven't yet, do me a favor, drop a five-star review, follow on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, and find me on Instagram. I'm at at Michelle Simone Miller and at Mentors on the Mic. Share this in your stories. Let me know what you think. Share it with a friend, and I'll see you next time.